Our reading this morning is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. Um, it opens with a greeting from Paul, and then there's a message to follow. And I was thinking the message actually applies to us, so when we get to the message part, I'm talking to you, okay? <laughs> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae and Aldinga Bay. Just grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up in heaven for you. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. yourself from down the front, but I definitely can now. All right, we're in. Um, I'm Mark. I'm the youth coordinator here at Ordinga Bay. Um, so if you don't know me, feel free to come up and say hello later on. Uh, if you're wondering, our youth programs all start back next week, um, and they're a lot of fun. Today might seem like a bit of a history lesson, but it's actually going to be far more than that. It's a launching pad from where we're going to dive into another time and place and we're going to wrestle with God's word given to a culture and a people that existed almost 2,000 years ago. This means you were going to get a lot of cool slides today, now you're not. Um, and I normally don't do them, so great. We're going to situation normal for us. Um, but I want to encourage you, at the beginning of a new series, when we dive into the book of a Bible uh, or a new passage for a few weeks, sometime during the first week, Find a way to experience a short overview of that book. Most study Bibles will have one before you read chapter one. Commentaries will also have more in-depth overviews. Um, one of the things I like to do is go to the Bible Project website, uh, and I'll actually I'll either have a watch or I'll listen to it in the car where I've got YouTube going hands-free through the, through the system. Uh, but it's gonna help us grapple with the context of the book, the overall meaning of it, and the larger scheme of scripture. Uh, it's gonna alert us to the author's intent behind the body of writing that we're gonna dive into. So hopefully I'll give you guys a bit of that today as well. So as a church, we currently got our senior pastor Garth, he's running us through Acts 2. We've got a, we are discovering deep riches of how the early Christians came to begin their journey as a body of believers in Christ Jesus. We also have Frank, our worship director. He's taking us through songs in Revelation uh, it's a refreshing and encouraging look at the praise and worship in visions received by John from God. Actually, I really like, uh, Frank, the way that you've put together the worship as well with a whole lot of meaning. Each, each, um, each hymn, I was going to say psalms and hymns, they don't work together as a word. So each hymn has its sense of meaning and they're progressive, they follow on. 
Uh, Matthew has also just finished a series on Philippians. So we're diving into Colossians. But before, and I can only do this on the odd occasion, so you'll have to bear with me and try and track and follow as we go through it. So before we begin though, I want you to imagine you're in a foreign country somewhere new. You've got the task of driving to church on Sunday morning, but no one told you which church to go to. There's no internet. You've hopped in your car, you started the engine, you took off down the highway, and you're looking for a sign, and it splits into two. Do you go left or do you go right? Where do you go? Well, this is how I kind of felt when I was told I could preach on whatever I like. Initially, I struggled with the idea of having to pick a passage or a book to preach on. Do I go left and I, I might end up in the Old Testament, or do I go right and I end up in the New Testament? The problem is, we have all of the Bible, and it's appropriate that every book should be taught and explored in depth. The Old Testament sets up the narrative and the history of God's people. It paves the way for the Messiah. At the same time, it reveals richly the character of God. If we begin with the New Testament, we're diving into the life of Christ. We've got the beginning of the church, and we see how it matures. So where do I start? Well, I actually start in prayer. I pray over it, and I see what's God got in store for us, um, and what's he going to teach me. And this led me to the letter to the Colossians. So our main author today is going to be Paul, and it's co-authored uh, by Timothy, who might have very well been the physical writer for most of the letter. So along with the Holy Spirit as the guiding force behind their words, Paul and Timothy are writing to the faithful at Delphos in Colossae. Now what's a Delphos? It's a Greek word. Um, and here's a quick Greek lesson. I had a slide for this. It'd be a little bit more visual normally. Um, but it just means brothers or family. And a lot of the New Testament believe, like in a lot of the New Testament, it will mean fellow believers or brethren. So Christians, including all who believe as brothers and sisters in Christ, are supposed to include everyone. And in verse 2, you'll notice it says, saints and faithful in Christ. Some translation will say brothers, but I want you guys to understand it's brothers and sisters. So we discover this content of the letter is designed for all of us. And we're here today, um, we're going to consider this letter for the whole church. So the beginning of Colossians really caught my attention because it's apparent Paul has never met or visited the people he is writing to. And they are a church as a result of the gospel being proclaimed to them. So God had been working through Epaphras, I think that's how you say it, to teach them about Jesus Christ and the hope that belief brings in a future that is yet to come. So the hope of heaven and the grace of God has resulted in the bearing of good fruit amongst these people. And I really love this expression. You've heard, you've heard me preach on it before, the bearing of good fruit. The last time I preached on it, we had a bowl of fruit because it was school holidays. And it is once again. But I figured um, God has given us the most uh, wonderfully accessible um, fruit. And it's actually quite amazing. I don't know if you guys have noticed. If you go down the shop, how many options of fruit do you have? At least 10, 20? We, way more than what anyone has ever had in history before. Um, so I like to give it out. I think scripture and food go hand in hand. We can't do that here when I'm supposed to eat in this auditorium. So we're not handing out fruit today. Normally I would have got all your kids to come down and hand out a whole bunch of the adults. It'd be a lot of fun. Um, but we can't do that. But there's so many biblical examples of food and scripture intertwined. We've got things like the Last Supper, Passover feasts, 
Um, and even the early church, they met around food. Uh, we see that it even causes issues in the New Testament. All right, but that's enough about food, even though I love food. Normally, I'm going to pop a little story in here and it will give you this relatable context to us and the Colossians and how they're just like us. And yet, I think that would do them a cultural disservice. We want to know we're not exactly like them. We do have similarities. Our hearts and minds still function very much in the same way as they always have. Um, our environment, though, is quite different, and yet it's also quite similar. Driving down here, one of the things I noticed, there are vineyards on my left and right. There are hills in the background and there are cows in the field, and there's plenty of people traveling and they're stopping to rest and refill somewhere. And I think, wow, that's probably 2,000 years ago, that's exactly what they were doing. They were going down through Colossae, um, they were traveling through that area, uh, and you'll notice that if I had a map up there, Colossians sits in a crossroads. So there's an eastern and a western road that run through, and a northern and a southern road that run through. It's really quite interesting when you look at a map, when Paul writes to these churches, and they're just in key places where people gather. And where people gather, you get a mix of everything. So the Colossians were a Roman Gentile town, probably with a few scattered Jews. It was a rather large township. Um, however, um, they were also nearby a, a river, which is really important for them because they're water, they're agricultural. But the heart of Colossae had a product. Does anyone know what it is, by the way? Does anyone know what Colossae produced? Because they're out of our memory these days. We don't actually know. They produced this red wool. It was called Colossian red wool. And it was actually quite famous at the time. This was 300 years before Christ, though. So by the time that we get to Paul's day, one of the problems they had is there's a road that bypassed Colossae and it went to Laodicea. Who's heard of Laodicea before? Has anyone heard of that? Yeah. Because if we were sitting there in the Colossians, Paul says, pass this letter on to them. Right? This, so he's picking these key places where people gather and they meet and they travel. Unfortunately, not long after Paul wrote to the Colossians, there was an earthquake within three, four, maybe five years. And it struck down the town and reduced a lot of it to rubble. Um, they eventually rebuilt it, but never the same as before. And these days, it is actually blank. So I had another photo up here, but you just have to imagine it, that you've just got these grass hills and mountains in the background, and there's a sign that says Colossae on it, and that's it. So there's nothing left of it. Um, it's been totally destroyed. I don't think that's actually unfortunate. I would have liked to have seen something that we could have talked about for today's, um, today's context. But God's word traveled there and it didn't stop there. It went out from there. Um, but I want to propose to us that we give the Colossians a chance that we see there are some similarities between Aldinga in 2023 and Colossae 2000 years ago, enough so that when we read Paul's message, it's going to apply just as much to us today as it did to them. So in Paul's day, one of the interesting things was there's a lot of philosophers around. And so these guys are constantly bombarded and surrounded with different spiritual messages. They've constantly got all sorts of philosophies coming at them. And today, 
It's actually no different. I put together uh, this slide, it was really cool, full of today's messages, full of about fairness, full of equality, full of you can be the change. If there's a slogan that existed, there wasn't enough room on a slide to keep putting them. That's how many things are thrown at you guys every day, every week. The problem with this is we get all these messages thrown at us. How do we know what's true? And this is where the problem was. Truth became subjective 2,000 years ago, and today it's just as subjective. People want the same old message. They want to say, you can make it up as you go along. Uh, they want to treat themselves as if they're gods, and they want to treat you as if you're a god, and that you can make up your own message. So Paul here is going to challenge us. And it's in the first verse. So if you've got your Bibles there, turn to the first verse if you like. Colossians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul's claim at the start of Colossians is this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. This is by no means a gentle beginning. At first read, you kind of go, yeah, okay, Paul, you wrote it, great. But the problem is, Paul here is making a claim about himself that the Colossians and us, we're going to have to deal with. The first thing that Paul declares himself to be an apostle of Christ, and the second is, he claims that it's God's will. This is not just a title, but Paul's declaring he speaks with the authority and the will of God. Christ is the supreme authority by which Paul is talking to us. And it's by um, the choice and the will of God, he's actually going to use Paul to teach us. What a claim. He gets to be the mouthpiece and the instrument by which the Colossians and us will learn who Christ is in view of everything in existence. And then he's going to teach us how we should live as followers of Christ. I think it can be easy to take for granted that we've got the Word of God. I want us to remember how special it is that we have our God speaking directly to us through the writing of Paul and Timothy. In today's world, like I said, everything becomes subjective and interpretive. Truth is but an illusion, and you get to determine it for yourself, but that's not actually true. God's Word is truth. If we want a steady message that doesn't change, we have no choice but to look at what God teaches us through his unchanging word in scripture. Now I need you to imagine this, because I don't have the picture, an old scroll of Greek words on it. Now how many people have seen Greek before? New Testament Greek, Koine Greek. Has anyone seen it? I reckon there's a couple of people in the room I can tell that would have seen some of it, right? This is God's word and it was unchanging, but there's complex. It was written all in capitals with no punctuation. Doesn't make a lot of sense unless you understood it, unless you were, you know. So they went and took this Greek and they added a whole bunch of punctuation, some accents, and they made it understandable as a language for the common people. That's what Koine Greek is common. Then they had to go and take it and they had to make it English 1500 years later. So before we move on, I just wanted to explain, we've got over a hundred translations of the English Bible. I don't know about you guys, but that sounds like a lot to me. Um, one of the things I like to do is go back to Greek words and say, what does this mean? What did it mean for us? Um, but as I look through the different versions in the English, one of the things that becomes apparent, word order changes, but the content stays the same. 
The truth doesn't change. I have I had a couple of examples of an ESV, an NLT, an NIV. If you don't know what they are, they're all different translations of the Bible. I had them all set out so you can see the differences in them. So if you're going to follow with me in an ESV, English Standard Version, you're going to see that we finished the sermon halfway through a sentence. If you follow in the New Living Testament, the NLT, you're going to see that, oh, there's a full stop there and it starts again. And you'll notice, though, the words themselves don't change and the content doesn't. So Paul's begun with this big claim about truth. And I guarantee you it polarised a lot of people. They would have thought, oh, Paul, you're declaring something as real. And he goes on in this to call the Colossians saints and faithful family or brothers and sisters in Christ. I wonder, and I thank Narelle for putting this in there, if he was writing to a Dinga Bay Baptist, I don't think he would change anything in the greeting except for the geographical location. He would say something like this if it was aimed at us. The saints out of Dinga, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And I think, wow, that's a message to me, and that's a message to you. What is this message? Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Let that sink in for a second. Paul used the term here, saints as well, to remind them and us of our status. We have been transferred to the kingdom of God's Son, Jesus Christ. This calling to the faithful should remind us of our faith that we placed in Jesus. And this faith will require us to be faithful to the gospel that we have received. When Paul says the words in Christ, we also need to pay attention. We cannot come to God in any way but through Christ. We cannot identify as saints unless it be through Christ. We're not a family of brothers or sisters unless it is through Christ. We sung it before in the hymn, and I love that it just fits so well here, that everything we do is through Christ. And you'll see later on in the next sermon, give you a little preview, Christ is supreme. So if you continue to read through Colossians, you'll see there's a whole section about who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. But Paul is already placing in front of the Colossians a challenge. Anything that would take the place of Christ has no bearing on your status. It's only through him, through Jesus, that we can know who we are and receive this blessing of grace and peace from God, our Father. Paul says so much with so few words. Any time that we read something from him, we need to take appropriate pauses and ask ourselves what's going on here. And it's going to bring me to our first point and application. We need to know that we are the saints being addressed. Those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, we're his family and we're united in him. We have the promise of grace and peace that will outlast this age and it's going to dwell with us in the new age to come. This grace and peace is from God. And he's come to us through the word of Jesus Christ, in him and in his message alone. This is what it means to have faith, to place Jesus as your Lord of your life and follow him. So that's our first takeaway. We want to acknowledge and embrace that we have a faith that binds us for eternity in Christ Jesus. I did have a little slide and it showed little people being bound to something. Right, we're bound with Christ. We can't be separated from that. And everything Paul does, he wants that people should know and experience the love of God through the work of salvation done in Jesus. We can actually see this in Romans 3.24. 
Um, feel free if you want to look it up. I'll give you a moment. That's Romans 3, verse 24. And it actually says there, it says, Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus, and he freed us from the penalty of our sins. And a bit further on in Romans 5, 17, a couple of pages over, it says this, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Paul means for the Colossians and for us to experience the grace and peace both now and as well as in the future. He explains this at length in Romans. Even flicking back to Romans 5.1, he says, Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. So you might have thought it was just a simple blessing that Paul was passing on to his hearers. But he means so much more than a cursory or a fleeting feeling. It's a real lived experience, both now and fully realised in eternity, when we come into the next age. So we've only just started, and I feel like time is almost up. So bear with me. But we've only got a few more verses to go. Um, I did look at this and I thought each verse could almost be its own sermon. Uh, but in all seriousness, we're going to spend um, probably not that long going through each of those verses. Um, I would encourage you though, go home and mull over and act upon what Paul teaches here. Think about when he writes these words. Go slowly through it. In your daily Bible readings, go slowly through what you're reading. Um, as we slow down and we look and we consider, there's so much richness in just a few words. Uh, I'm always blown away, by the way, about how fantastic a writer these authors are and what the Holy Spirit's done through these people. But Paul moves on in his letter and he reminds them and those with him, um, he reminds them that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, is someone that we give thanks to uh, when he prays for them. He says a lot about the nature of thanksgiving in prayer when done with other Christians. This is something that Paul and Timothy do quite often and at the start of their letters, is that he's prayed for the people that he's writing to, constantly praying for them, because it's up to God to do the work in them. This is not a formula for prayer by any means at the start of it, but it's significant enough that we should ponder on it. I wonder when we pray to God, do we give thanks to God for the fruits of missionary labour? Um, Paul seems um, Paul seems to be highlighting for us that these things are important, that we acknowledge that God isn't just God our Father, but He's the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, the work that He does in His people. They seem to be really important things to pray over. Um, I did think about this and I thought, who are the missionaries that we would pray over if we as a church were to take to heart what Paul said when we pray? And I thought, well, we've got Thomas and Joe as one example that have been sent out. That we should be thanking God constantly for the good fruit that their mission is bearing and praying over the work that he's doing through them. And I wonder, we should also remember the work of those close to home, giving thanks to God for the good fruit that we actually see here, 
And you will notice Paul is often giving thanks to God the Father. He does this in Ephesians 5.20 as well. He says, always giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're praying to God and we want to do that, not just in humble submission, not just in our bedrooms, we want to do it corporately as well. Um, it might not be noticeable, but the giving of thanks to God is actually in line with Paul's and Israel's heritage from Old Testament scriptures. The beauty of the New Testament, it points back to the Old Testament quite often. Anytime acts of God were remembered publicly, they were supposed to be read out, aloud. And God is the one who is honoured. He is sovereign and he is provident and he is worthy of praise. Uh, amazingly, we see it hundreds of years before Paul. We see the same example in King David. He says the same thing in Psalms 35, 18. And he says, Then I will thank you in front of the great assembly. I will praise you before all the people. So God is worthy to be honoured, not just quietly with our own prayers, but in front of others. We know that there's more than one way to pray to God. And we know that we can pour our hearts to him. Um, and there are many ways to do things. But we want to acknowledge, especially this morning, the mighty God's work is doing in his people here and abroad. We openly declare that God is the actor in all things that we do. He is the object of our praise and worship. So you would have heard me say many times by now, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul could have said that we give thanks to God the Father, and you actually would have known who he was talking about. He does this quite often. He wants to confess Jesus as the Christ, the Lord, and the Messiah. We get used to it. We get used to biblical language in church. We get used to hearing phrases. Until we sit back and think about them, what's so important about acknowledging Jesus as Christ, the Son of God, the Father? Well, he is the one that Israel had been waiting for. Those listening to Paul would have heard Jesus is the Son of God as a statement. They would have heard it as a true fact. And it may well have been confronting for a few of them, especially if you were Jewish and you were sitting in the audience. And the reason for the gospel message is Jesus. He is the means by which God's grace is known. So if you go searching through Paul's letter, or letters, you'll see he says it many times, and he phrases it different ways. Jesus Christ our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord. So he says it in all sort of mixes. It doesn't matter where you put it, he puts it all together and identifies significantly that Jesus is being known as our Lord and Saviour. Our second take-home point today has got to do with prayer. When we pray, take the time to acknowledge God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And take the time to give thanks to God. And I was thinking in that manner. So God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's such an important little phrase, but it means so much. I want to read out for you verses 4 to 6. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere. 
by changing lives. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. That is the NLT. Paul makes it really clear to the Colossians the reason to give thanks. He has heard of their faith in Jesus. It's an act of God that anyone should have faith. On our own, we could not even begin to have faith in the gospel. It's the work of God that bears the fruit of faith. He reveals the truth of the gospel to us. And this is where faith has its beginning. What's encouraging here is that Paul has heard of the love the Colossians have for all of God's people. It's come from a confident hope of what God has reserved for them in heaven. So how did the Colossians show the love to God's people? Well, that would probably be a bit of a spoiler for the rest of Colossians, since Paul's going to go on to reinforce what loving relationships look like later. For now, we can assume, though, the Colossians were looking after their fellow church mates in such a way it exemplifies the love of Christ. So providing for their needs, spiritual, physical, emotional, all those things that a church should be doing together. So what does God reserve for them in heaven? I actually thought this was kind of a really cool point. What do they have hope in? We already know from the gospel message, they have hope in life eternal and a bodily resurrection from the dead. There's a hope of sharing in glory with Jesus Christ. These riches are stored in heaven and they're waiting for us. Some things are realized now here on earth, such as God's grace, peace with God, forgiveness of sins, and these will last for eternity. But some things, they're being held back for us. For when the time is right, God will send Jesus back to earth. He's going to usher in a whole new era. There's also going to be a final time of judgment for sin. But we too can trust that this gospel message we have heard, and knowing the truth of Jesus, it will resonate throughout history, but it hasn't changed. But it's for us as much today as it is for the Colossians 2,000 years ago. What I find amazing here is the work of the gospel. Isn't just the good news of Jesus Christ, even though it's amazing, uh, but, oh, sorry, it isn't just stuck in Colossae. Can you imagine if they had this letter and they kept it to themselves and they didn't pass it on? I can't actually imagine that because it no longer has a border. It went out and it spread across the globe. Uh, here's another visual. I'll have to explain it for you. I've, I've got this picture of the globe uh, and it just shows all these little lines that's going out to everywhere and all coming back in. If you look at a map of the earth and you see to say flight paths or you see how a pandemic might spread, God's word has spread across the globe in such a similar fashion but better. It's this health and this life that has gone out, this good news spread out. They didn't want to keep it to themselves. It's important to dwell on that um, because I think here in Australia we can have a good appreciation for what that really means. The fact that this message is 2,000 years old and it reached the farthest places on earth and it's been proclaimed in places that we've never even heard of, that's the good fruit that Paul is talking about. The apostles' labours, good fruit of missionary labours. What Jesus did on the cross and through his disciples are a testament to the power of the gospel. The fact that we even received it here in Australia. I mean, we are at the end of the world unless you go to Antarctica and there's not many people there. It's freezing. It's freezing here. But we should be reminded and encouraged here 
We too were a product of this good fruit, of the good news. Someone in our lives, by the power and will of God, they shared with us the gospel message. They told us, and they told me, of the power of salvation and the forgiveness of sins through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the promise of eternal life that first began with the resurrection of Jesus. They showed us what repentance looked like and they showed us the love of Christ so that we might too see and behold and come to join in union with Christ because he took our sin and he dealt with it. The gift of being able to approach God the Father and we can now know um, the Son as well is so great there is actually nothing else worth boasting about. And you'll see that's why I'm hung up on that this morning. To share the love of Christ is the most amazing, amazing thing. So, I think that's why Paul here states emphatically that God has blessed them in grace and that he understands that there's truth to all of this. That's why he makes statements. He doesn't leave them hanging. He doesn't hold on to it with a maybe or a what if. He states it as fact. There's nothing false in the message that he preached or he shared with Epaphras. Epaphras took that message, spread out through to other people. And they have confidence in that message because it was true. As true for them um, back then as it is for us today. Anytime that we come across teaching that contradicts this, we've got to ask ourselves, is this in accordance with what God teaches us in Scripture? Now, why would we mention that? Well, Paul's going to address that a little bit later as well, further on in Colossians. False teaching rears its head. Um, but here, we're going to see that Scripture is the first and final authority on all things, especially when we try and understand God and His purposes. So this is the third point that we're coming to. I want to highlight some things from verse 6 where it says, It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. It is the message of Christ. God's grace, if it wasn't talked about, how would we know what it is? On occasion, your actions are going to speak loudly, and your life will be a testament. But Paul here is highlighting the fact, understanding came from hearing. It's the gospel that was spoken to them, and we're going to say most likely, we can see by, it's by Epaphras. We might learn a little bit more about him later. And when they received it, God allowed them to understand the truth about his wonderful grace. I want us to see this passage as an encouragement to share God's grace with people in your lives. What is it that we should share and who should we share it with? Well, it should be, and it could be, the delight in knowing Christ, his acts of salvation. It could be the forgiveness of sins you might want to share with someone. It could be discussion of heaven and hell and the afterlife, things we don't talk about very often sometimes. When God leads you to begin, he's actually going to give you the help. He'll give you the words to see the conversation through. It can be tricky if you don't think you have a gift of evangelism. If you don't think you're that person that God's going to use to get through to your mate, someone used someone else to bring you here, to bring you to a relationship with Jesus Christ. So might I challenge you, 
to also be that person for someone else. And I think that's what the challenge is here for us today. We want people to participate in the joy of knowing God. What it's like to become a citizen of heaven. So my third and final point is be willing to share the love of Christ with those who don't know him. You don't need this gift of evangelism. You don't need a special calling or a teaching or anything else. But you do need the Holy Spirit. And you need to accept to realise the greatest gift that you can share to someone is this spoken word, the message of the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and what he did for you. I love it when a message clearly ends in such a way that before God, we can give thanks to him both publicly in corporate prayer and privately as we sit down with our own thoughts, dwelling on his grace and mercy in our lives. This is a good time to thank him for all he's done and that he's doing their lives here in the church at Aldinga. Uh, and I think it's a good time to pray. So let's pray. Dear God, we want to thank you, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour, for your rich blessings of grace upon our lives. We want to thank you for the missionary workers both here, at home and abroad that spread the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for your church who actively cares for the saints, sharing and giving as needing and as needed to help each other and to help those around them. Lord, for all of us who might be struggling, provide for us in a time of need. But more importantly, we ask for those of us that still live in darkness, with our eyes closed and our ears shut, we want you to open them to the truth of your word. We want them to know and experience the love of God through accepting you as their Lord and Saviour. Amen.